Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about the purpose of life. Just a little casual, shallow conversation for your drive time to work or home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just turn off your brain. Yep. Relax. <laughs> we're just going to give you some cotton candy. What do they call that? Uh, dental floss for the brain. Who ever has called it that? You've never heard of that? No. Dental floss for the brain? That's that sounds a- like homework. Cause, yeah, you're probably right. I got it pain. backwards. So a little cotton candy for the brain. Yeah, a little mouthwash for the a little brain. Ma- well, that's cleansing it out. That still work. That's easier than flossing. But then you go, ah, that yeah. feels good. <laughs> anyway, we think you're going to like it. Uh, before that, though, it is story time or joke time. And, John, I believe it's your week. You're up. It is my week. I'm going to tell a story. I've only ever told one joke, and I think it's the only joke I really and know. And it was not good. I thought it was great. It was not good. I have told it a few times over the... Over Afraid the, not. I, I learned it I'll when I was I'll never forget in, the punchline. Exactly. I learned it when I was in seventh, eighth, eighth grade. That explains it all. And I've told it many times since then. It always gets a, a good reaction. A courtesy laugh is what it gets. No, it gets, it's a shock, shallow <laughs> laugh. You know? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a courtesy laugh. It's a... Did he just really say that? Did, like, he's not even a dad yet. That's not... That, <laughs> that's a dad joke, and you've never even reproduced. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to anyway. your story. <laughs> so the story, for whatever reason, I'm very nervous to to say it. It's not a bad story. <laughs> it just it makes, it makes me look like a, a psychopath or something. But oh, I figured wow. I've put some people, you know, I've made other people look like fools. This week I'll tell a story about myself looking like a fool. Okay. So uh, at Northwest University in Kirkland, uh, the campus is on a hill. And uh, the caf- the cafeteria and the, the dorms, uh, and a few other buildings at the very bottom of the hill by the road. And all of the classrooms uh, are somewhat up the hill, ranging from, you know, a block Moderately away. up the hill yeah, to, to all the way All the, the way. And, which I believe uh, the fitness center is at the top of the hill. The very top of the hill. Which was convenient for you because you never frequented that facility. Well, I actually did when I lived in the apartments, which are also on the top of the hill. Oh, okay. So I got to walk, you know, 20 feet to the gym. <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, I had a, I had this class. It was a communication class um, with a, a buddy of mine, and I only had one friend who was another who was a com major. So it was mm. it was good. You know, we probably had a class a class together each semester from like my junior year on. Nice. Um, anyway, this one he doesn't let me down. Uh, he he's brought it up a few times, but uh, I I walked up. I was running late, and uh, I walked to this class. It's a it's a character flaw of mine. I'm working on it to I'm, be late to be late. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't notice that except right at first. <laughs> Did I come out late? Is that is that <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good? Yeah, good joke. You came yeah. out heavy. Well, ten pounder. I, and I, Nothing I haven't you stopped can do about since. that. Yeah. Your mom had gestational diabetes. It was her fault. <laughs> is, that, is that what we're getting into right now? Let's see how far down the rabbit hole we can anyway, go. Anyway, here we go. So okay. you're so you're running late to com class, running which was a standard class. procedure. Not it happened. It was not surprising. Okay. Anyway, uh, I think I had just eaten lunch. So I think I was full too. For, regardless, it's a, this is one's about halfway up the hill. Is this a flatulence story? No, no. Okay. I'm just saying, the the point that I'm getting to is that I was out of breath. Okay. Um, I was out of breath, and uh, and 
you know, not nervous, but I wasn't settled. Everyone was there, but you know, you get in, everyone's oh, there. Yeah. You're the jazz. last guy in, then you're like, oh man, yeah, and, no. I'm, and I'm huffing and puffing. Yeah. It was, it was rough. So I, <laughs> I sit down. Were there little beads of sweat coming down your forehead? I think so. It was, it was probably early fall, so it was still kind of warm. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where if it's raining and you bundle up, but you oh. walk up the hill, then it's, there's no winning. Then you're winning. sweating. Yeah, yeah, no winning. So uh, I sit down, and <laughs> right when I sit down, the teacher is handing out these uh, mini little uh, eval- their evaluations on, on uh, uh, I don't remember if they were speeches or what. It was like a little presentation you gave. And she evaluated everybody, and she's handing them back. And I sit down, and she puts it on my desk, and uh, it's like a C-plus or something. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. But basically, I was like, uh, I was like, oh, man, this isn't good at all. I'm, I'm, you know, trying, I'm trying to make a joke. Right. And uh, she says, is something wrong? And, and uh, I said, how am I supposed to show this to mom and pop back home? <laughs> 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 and I'm I'm wheezing, <laughs> and she says uh, she says, "Well, I think it's a perfectly fine score." And I said, "And her name is Michelle Holman, Professor Doc, you know, Doctor Holman. Holman." Yeah. And I said, "Don't patronize me, Michelle." <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what I was thinking, but but, uh, but you were just on a roll. Oh you, my you goodness! Just weren't thinking. I know. Yeah. And so, so she said that's a perfectly fine score. What kind of professor? Well, not perfect. She said, she said, well, that's not that bad, really, is what she said. She's oh, trying okay. to cheer me up because oh, okay. I don't know if she knew if I was joking. Right, right. Um, and how long had the semester been going at this point? Like, does she, she doesn't know you very well yet? Or, well, if it was early enough to be warm, it couldn't have been later than, you know, late and October. And this is your first class with her? Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. this is. She was great. And yeah. she had a reputation for being great. She was very funny. Um, so you thought you could mess with her a little bit. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. It all happened so fast. <laughs> <laughs> don't patronize me, Michelle. Yeah. So uh, I think I even sent her an email later. I was like, hey, I meant no disrespect like that. I don't know <laughs> what was going on. Um, and she thought it was fine. But uh, so the don't don't patronize me, Michelle, has been a, a famous line. Oh, so people bring that up to you. Yeah. Just, just my buddy who was in that class and, yeah. my, fr- and my friends who he told the story to. Right. But, um, I passed the grade of that uh, that class pretty well actually. Yeah. So what was the class? I don't really remember. I, it was, I think it was called interpersonal communication. Yeah. But that I took that and another class that were extraordinarily similar at the in the same semester, and me yeah. and this buddy were in the same class. Well, now you were telling this story like I've I've told stories on other people. I'm going to tell one on myself, and mm-hmm. made me think this was going to be an embarrassing moment. It's pretty embarrassing. It doesn't sound that embarrassing. It actually sounds pretty funny, and like you were witty. Well, all of my like stories when you're are funny. out of wind and sweaty and a little anxious. You actually get funny and insulting to my superior in the classroom. Uh, I guess that's true. So, but if when I think of embarrassing moments, I think of wetting my pants or having my fly open when I'm standing in front of 800 people. You know, something like that. I don't save it for future episodes. Have you where does this rank on the on the list of Jonathan embarrassing moments? Well, I think one of the perks of keeping myself is I don't have a ton of those. I don't think. Because the only person you would embarrass is yourself because you're in a room all alone. Or I don't speak out. So, oh. so what am I going to do to embarrass myself? Well, trip over something, to... fall flat on your face, belt really loud accidentally in a class, uh, have a button undone on the middle of your belly and your belly's hanging out and you don't realize it for 30 minutes. Oh. You know, there's lots of things that yeah. can happen. One time I was sitting in one of the front rows of our church in uh, Colorado mm-hmm. 
And I was picking my nose like the whole time. <laughs> Two knuckles deep. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember who told me afterwards. Probably mom. But she was like, you know, everyone can see that. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a better story. Yeah. But that's 10 seconds. Yeah. That's not worth the Well, time that's true. Yeah. Well, we could drag that out, though. Like, the, that's one of the dad jokes. Do you know what you find inside Jonathan's nose? Hmm. Fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all right. So all this have, is, it has uh, to have some worth. I thought that was a good story. It was a good story, and it brings us uh, some tangential way into a transition to this uh, lighthearted conversation that's actually quite substantial. What is the purpose of life? Now, John, uh, you've been asking me for weeks. You want to do an episode on the purpose of life, the meaning of life. I think really the way you've worded it in the past is, mm-hmm. what is the meaning of life? I think the way I worded it was, why are we here? There you go. Help me with that. Now, tee this up for me. Why have you wanted to have this conversation? Um, I think that we've, we, you know, all of our questions, all of our conversations, excuse me, all have, uh, you know, they, they go around the same kinds of ideas. And we've we've kind of punched around this one a few times. And it's actually, it's not something that I used to have a whole lot of struggles with. Um, but I, I was having this conversation with a, a friend who um, was just kind of racking his brain and he was about why we were ever made to begin with. Mm. So, um, because the Bible is pretty clear about what our purpose here is now, but he was, his whole thing was why. And, and I didn't really have a good answer for him mm-hmm. um, because, you know, his thing is with God being um, omniscient. And uh, he, you know, know exactly what was going to going to happen when he made us and gave us free will. Why even bother? He's getting praised by the angels already. Um, I think the answer I gave him was um, that praise means more when you have free will. When when because uh, mm. uh, the angels still have free will, they were able to leave God. But um, I don't know. I think humans are just different, mm. and that the um, the end result is is way more just. Um, dramatic. It's just huge. Yeah. When, um, when in spite of all this craziness, humans still turn their their hearts towards God. Yeah. Um, but that's not that's not an answer really to why. So when you when you think about why are we here, um, you know we're in an age with the highest levels of anxiety ever in recorded history. Mm-hmm. Um, more antidepressants and anxiety medication uh, prescriptions than ever, and a Escalation in um, what they call desperation deaths, mm-hmm. suicides, and um, what's a desperation death? It means that you've, you're de- you despair of life itself, and so you you end it all, or you care so little you overdose. Hmm. You you don't manage your drug use because you just don't care whether you live or die. Okay, and so even an accidental overdose would be considered a desperation death. So that's a statistic, is what it is. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And so, uh, and then you have these, you know, these mass shootings all of a sudden, we have more of those. Um, and so, uh, you could attach at least a portion of all of that to people wondering, what is it all meaningless? And so, uh, I don't think your question comes to you from, I feel like life could be meaningless. Right. Because we, you know, just by basis of who we are and who we want to help, we're assuming that you're coming here from a from a similar understanding as we are. Yeah, so we're making an assumption that you that you have resolved part of this, right? And so you're not wondering, you know, who made me. You have right. that kind of idea, more or less, you know, ironed out. Yeah. Um, 
but but on a both on a grander and um, more um, minute minuscule scale, mm-hmm. uh, microscopic scale. Um, why is that so? And and what am I? What's my purpose here? Yeah. So like, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that um, one of the questions I've had is um, because I think I think you know there may be a time in most people's lives more than 51 percent that you would reach a point of saying why am i here and does it make a difference that i ever lived and why did god crank this up in the first place if he knew we were going to sin if he knew we were going and it was going to cost him his son and uh and why didn't he make a creation where this could not have happened Mm -hmm. um and so what's it all about i my question has been periodically what if we go through all of this, you know, right now we're sitting at 2,100 years of history since Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows whether it's going to go another day, an hour. Wouldn't it be cool if we were podcasting when the rapture happened? That'd be kind of sweet. <laughs> Somebody have to post our podcast for us. But uh, but the thing I've asked, what if, what if then like God redeems it, then we, then we stand before God, battle of Armageddon, wraps it all up, blam. And then he does it again, mm. creates another race. <laughs> and now we're the angels. Sure. And uh, he does it again. What if he's doing this? I mean, when you think about the cosmic size of God, yeah. what if he's got like nine of these going on right now? There's a lot of people who think that. Yeah, it's possible. So all of those chase you to what's really going on here. Yeah. And why would God do this? What is the meaning of it? I have this this scene that I've that I've daydreamed of a few times where uh, um, it's a little self-important maybe or a little um, idealistic, but where these... Aliens come down in Times Square, and the whole world stage. All eyes are on them, mm-hmm. and um, and the 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 scientific atheists go, ah, where is your God now? And Christians more or less would be like, well, I mean, it makes sense, you know, that God would have made other life in the right, universe. Right, right. Um, it just seems kind of kind of funny, but uh, uh, I agree with that, and, and it does make me feel smaller. But it's one of those things. I don't, these things don't keep me up at night. I like to think about them for fun, but I'm really, really okay with the, I'm not going to know everything mm-hmm. angle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with that reality of, of being a, a follower of God. Well, the only evidence we have is to go to Genesis one and God says, let us make man in our image mm-hmm. and in our likeness and, um, let them have dominion, exercise dominion over the face of the earth. And so uh, there is, when you when you look at how God created, then gave life to man, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. He is different than the rest of creation, though he's made mm-hmm. from the dust of the earth. He is different than everything else God made. Uh, God made man, humans, with his own two hands. He spoke everything else into creation. So there's mm-hmm. an intimacy there. There's an engagement there. And then he has this mission to exercise dominion, to be made in his image, to reflect God on the creation he has made. Then the value of work, to, to work that garden, um, to to procreate and build communities and families and life. And mm-hmm. so there's a whole lot there. And what I what I think is, you know, what what I'm hearing you say is that the the question, why did he do all that? Yeah. Is beyond knowing. Well, part of and yeah, so so I might have over overspoke my actual comfort with this because one of the thoughts that keeps that you know 
irks me a little bit is, say the fall never happened, right? And Adam and Eve had kids in the garden and, and mm-hmm. generations of this went by. I get our purpose in the fallen world where, you know, the Great Commission just just go forth and make disciples of all the nations. Mm. That is that is what I think the, the call of all um, uh, followers of, of Christ are called to do. Say the fall never happened, then what are we there for? Do well, we just that, live in bliss? And, and, and what's eternity going to be there So for? let me ask it to you this way. What was Adam and Eve's purpose in the garden? Right. I don't know. You don't know? I mean, he said, he gave Adam parameters, and he said, have dominion over the earth, you know, like like, yeah. like you said. Rule, reign, um, love your wife, create, uh, knock yourself out, have a blast, enjoy. And then God walks with them in the cool of the day. So there's like this intimacy with God, intimacy with each other. But to what end? Like, did he just want to watch what, to see what he would do? To enjoy God. Like that end to me is a more clear uh, path for my life than the one you keep referring to, which is to help as many people as possible find their way back to God. Mm-hmm. That is a power that is, you know, uh, that is clearly part of the mission we are on. We join Jesus in his mission mm-hmm. as he redeems us. He calls us to join in that mission. However, that's not why we were made. Sure. God knew this fall was going to happen prior to creation, but he didn't make us so that we would fall, so that we would then share his redemptive love with all of other fallen human beings. I don't think that's the case. I think he made us to know him and enjoy him and to be fully known by him. And so that is the purpose of our lives. And that purpose gets fractured, broken, scarred, shattered, and God then responds to this rebellion because it gets broken and blown up by our own mm-hmm. rebellion. And he responds to that by pursuing us and then having pursued us and redeemed us, he says, hey, help me in this redemptive mission to reclaim what I created and to draw back to me these people that I love who have rejected me. So there's a lot of talk. I I love that. Um, and maybe just kind of my guilty nature is I, when I think of that, I think of um, how selfish is that to just, to just make your life goal about enjoying God. So I know that, well, yeah. And I know that's not the case, but there's a lot, a huge amount devoted to the idea of usefulness in specifically the new Testament. So, you know, uh, why put the, the, the light of the world? Why, why put that in a, in a a lampshade under Mm -hmm. the bed? Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of, I'm, I'm struggling to think of examples, but, um, if you're not going to be useful, then what are you doing here? You know, so, that so kind of talk. yeah, there's a couple of thoughts I have about that. And I, man, I hope we're being helpful to you. I hope, I hope this is helpful to you first. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's helpful to those who are eavesdropping. So, um, so, uh, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that, and it's a, it's a huge help to me to realize this is that efficiency is not a kingdom concept. Like if mm-hmm. God wanted to get things done as efficiently as possible, he would not involve us. Sure. <laughs> he could do this way better than we yeah. can. It's kind of like, you know, the dad whose son wants to help him fix the car. Mm-hmm. And he knows, man, if I give this kid a wrench, it's going to take him five minutes to turn that screw with a <laughs> screwdriver. I could do it in 30 seconds myself, but I'm going to let him do it because it's about relationship. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think efficiency has to come off the table. And part of your, uh, you know, little guilt there struggle is what if I'm inefficient? You know, that's, you know. 
um, just enjoying God, how efficient is that? How useful is that? Mm-hmm. And so it helps me to recognize that if God wanted efficiency, he would choose a lot of things differently than he does. And so then it helps me also to think about just you and your wife, say you and your family. Is there mm-hmm. something selfish about deeply enjoying your wife and your kids? Do you feel like, would you feel like that's not useful? No, but I guess the, um, I, what, the guilt doesn't come in with the usefulness conversation. Uh, the guilt more comes in with, in the same way that it's hard for so many people to accept, uh, grace is just kind of the, um, mm. the, how does that make sense? Yeah. That, that, that God, all he wants from me is just to, uh, lean on him and enjoy him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. Those, those the, the circle doesn't fit in the cube block on the, yeah. you know, the toy. So what do you think brings a smile to the face of God? I don't know. I know the, you know, the, um, the sons of God, the angels, they rejoice and throw parties when, a when, a, when one sinner turns. When, yeah. So, uh, he loves it when one of his rebellious children turns their heart back to him and says, Hey, I love you. And so, and responds to his grace. And it's cool when we get to participate in that. Like mm-hmm. I, I got to help a guy do that. That's, that's awesome. Right. And it does feel like, man, I was made for this. This is, this is the essence of life. This is the stuff of eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are you going to do in heaven? You know, speaking of eternity, right. what are we going to do there? Are we going to have a useful redemptive mission or is it going to be, Hey, let's just enjoy uh, the garden, mm-hmm. you know, where let's just enjoy family and relationships and the presence of God without filter. Like now we see through a glass darkly, but then we will see him face to face. Now we walk by faith, but then we will become like him for we will see him as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just this profound beauty and pleasure and joy and fulfillment that awaits us in eternity that will have no Redemptive mission. We're going to return back to the original mission, which is just know God and have him know you and enjoy him. Yeah. And well, so it, one of the things that I keep asking myself is, because this is my battle, mm-hmm. why isn't that enough for me? Mm. Why is it that I can't just enjoy life if that's all I get? Why do I have to have that and a useful mission in my life, sure. you know, accomplishment, um, recognition, you know, why is it I need more than that? Yeah. Especially if eternity is going to be that. And for that, I was made, I was made just to enjoy the goodness of our God and to be fully known by him as I fully know him. Why isn't that enough? Well, one of the things we talked about in the the masculinity episode is that things just because the things were made to be one way doesn't mean they are. So we talked about the, the consequence of the fall. And the curse being, you know, um, how the, the way men right. tr- treat women is, is part of the, the curse historically. Yeah. So that in that same way, just because that's why we were made doesn't mean we in the world we're in can afford to, to just do that. You know, we have to have day jobs. We have to work. Well, and then, um, now, okay, so I'm going to word what you just said differently because you're, you're, I think you're, I think you're on to something. Um, work, mm-hmm. our obsession with work and accomplishment is not what we were made for. It is a part of the curse. Right. Just like uh, dominion over women is not God's design. It's part it, of the curse. Exactly. So at, Adam was given tasks in the garden, but yeah. it wasn't. But the ground cooperated. Exactly. exactly. Now the ground will not cooperate, and it'll mm-hmm. be by the sweat of your brow that you provide. And so this obsession to provide and to 
fight the world that's fighting my, that's the world's going from order to chaos. And mm-hmm. so for me to make the world produce for me, I have to work harder. Right. And so and, then you get connected to that. Yeah. And so maybe part of the curse is that, um, that people have more of a fixation on work. For me, it's been, uh, the, the struggle is that, um, in order to thrive in, in our current, um, culture and, you know, economic reality, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to spend this many hours working. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just how it has to be. Yeah. And so the dream would be to be able to spend those hours toward a mission that I care about and that I enjoy doing so that the, the work, you know, when you're spending the majority of your waking hours at one place, you hope, hopefully you, you feel like you're getting something out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's the modern struggle with that idea. Maybe in serfdom in the dark ages, it was different. You don't have really so much of a choice. You you are just producing food to live. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, that's the modern struggle, I think. But there is a dignity that we receive in working. Mm. You know, it, uh, life being a constant vacation. So if the garden had been, you know, Adam and Eve get drinks with umbrellas in it that somebody <laughs> brings to them. And they just kick back and enjoy God. That is not a dignified life. There's dignity in productivity. Hmm. And God knew this because he's a creative producing God. And that's why he said exercise dominion over the earth, rule over the earth in his place. So there's there's a work nature even before the fall yeah. that brings dignity to us. So there is there needs to be something more than I'm just enjoying God right? Um, for us to have that sense of dignity. One of the questions, and we may be approaching this from different angles, one of the questions that I keep finding, or that's at the front of my mind anyway, is um, what part of this conversation can help a person who's battling despair? And I think that the more a person goes into despair, this has been my experience, the more meaningless everything can become. Mm. And so you, you, you're, you become at a loss to find meaning in anything. Sure. And it becomes ultimately despairing. I personally believe that there is a real devil and that his objective is to drive you to such despair that you will despair of life itself. His strategy is to divide and conquer, to get you to feel isolated. Mm -hmm. He loves the phrase when somebody says, nobody gets me. (laughs) Nobody understands me. Nobody's going through what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants you to believe because it will drive you to despair. Sure. And so uh, what is it that that confronts that despair? What is it that, that helps me pull up out of my despair is this realization that I was created by the hand of God, mm-hmm. that God created me on purpose, that I'm an image bearer. I bear the image of this incredible God I worship. Right. And he has given me purpose. And if I lose that purpose, I lose a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, two things in uh, uh, Solomon uh, writes, and he, he does a lot of things that aren't necessarily, uh, um, what's the term? Encouraged. Uh, but one of the things he, he, he's kind of nihilistic a lot of, in a lot of ways. And he, and when he writes this, he's not far from God. And he says, vanity, 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 everything's vanity. The sun mm-hmm. goes up, mm-hmm. sun goes down, nothing changes. It's all pointless. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, he's the wisest man who ever lived. Yeah. It's interesting. And I, I stumbled, I'm, I happen to be in Ecclesiastes right now as part of my regular reading plan. Mm-hmm. 
And um, man, that is a book that could be like a a, a bachelor's degree in depression. <laughs> and what's fascinating about that is he says, man, I denied myself no pleasure. Maybe life's about pleasure. So I gave mm. myself, he had like 500 concubines yeah. or something. It was in the thousands, I thought. Yeah, a crazy number. So the guy's just having all the sex he wants, all the time he wants. Oh, that doesn't do it. He denies himself no wealth, no appetite, no pleasure, no adventure. I mean, mm-hmm. he tries it all. Scholarship, academics, um, military success. And mm-hmm. he says at the end of that, it's all despair. It's all It all means nothing. And the reason... That he comes to that the one the the pattern I see so far in Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. reading it again fresh is that because whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor you all die with nothing and you go back to the dirt from which you came hmm. and he attaches the meaningless to that that gotcha that that's the end of that all you can't things. escape death you can't escape it and no matter what you accomplish here or what you don't accomplish your destiny is the same hmm. now. One of the phrases, I think it's in chapter three of Ecclesiastes. I'm not exactly sure, but it's early in the book. Um, he has this conversation, this one thought that um, too much righteousness mm-hmm. is not a good thing, <laughs> and too much sin is not a good thing. And the and the and he finishes that thought with so avoid all extremes. Now this Weird. is an interesting thought. Yeah. Because what Ecclesiastes is, is him chasing wisdom to the extreme. Hmm. And it's an extreme kind of thinking. I have thought this, that that being the wisest person in the history of humanity would actually be a great burden. Because sure. you see the complexities in everything. It's probably, yeah, probably kind of lonely, too. It would be lonely. It would be tormenting. I have a friend, I won't mention his name because just in case he might listen to this podcast, (laughs) but he is like this, he lives in a very simple world. And Mm -hmm. I always marvel at how (laughs) simple his world is. Mm -hmm. And I asked him one time, hey man, what would it take? Because I'm, I'm chasing my tail. What's the meaning of life? And why are we, you know, why are we here? And, And am I being enough? And am I, am I being what I was made for? And, you know, life is just so burdensome at times to me. And he's just like sailing, you know, while he's mm-hmm. while he's uh, accomplishing not very much. Sure. And so I asked him one day, uh, "What is what? What would it take to make your life complete?" And he thought for like forty five seconds, and he said, "A hot tub." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Man, I'm so jealous of that. I wish I could live in a world that simple." Oh, no kidding. Right. And I think this is part of what Solomon's doing in Ecclesiastes. Like he has become neurotic Hmm. and he is chasing his tail into the stupidest uh, journey of analysis that misses the blaring point, Mm -hmm. which is you were made for God for eternity. Sure. Because he says it's meaningless because you're going to die and go back to the dirt from whence you came. No, you're not. You're an eternal being having a physical experience. And mm-hmm. when this physical experience ends, you're going to walk, you're not going to die. You're going to walk right into an eternal experience. That is what this one was all about. Well, and, and believing being who he was, he would have believed in the resurrection, right? He, he being Solomon. I don't know because, uh, he worshiped the, the God that his father, David worshiped 
but uh, you don't see Old Testament people talking about resurrection much. Hmm. There's a lot of debate at Jesus' day, and so right. they, they believed in some kind of afterlife. But I don't. they did not understand eternal redemption. When they were waiting for the Messiah, they weren't waiting for a Messiah who would give them eternal life. They were waiting for a Messiah that would make Israel the most powerful nation on earth. Right. So uh, I'm not sure they had a thought that this is going to all kick up to a whole nother level sure. in eternity. So that actually brings me to a, th- a thought I, I also had. So I the my answer to the question of what are you here for mm-hmm. has been the, the Great Commission answer yeah. um, to just kind of do my best for the kingdom. Um, and uh, that's kind of a uh, maybe an excuse to sleep easy, right? Like, oh, I know mm-hmm. the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized that that answer didn't exist pre-Jesus. Right. There were no Jewish missionaries, you know, going out to the to right. the uh, Gentiles or anything. And there are mention of, of Gentiles who actually... God-fearing. Uh, yeah, God, and, and did the Jew- Jewish practices. Right. Uh, some Roman... But they soldiers. found that on their own. The Jews weren't trying to persuade them exactly. to do that. And so, uh, so that's a not even... Um, a whole biblical answer. That's only a New Testament end of the times that we're in now. Answer. Right. So half the world didn't, half of history didn't right. get to enjoy that. And so when you look back like, uh, like Joseph uh, yeah. with the, you know, with the, the robe of many colors, he was put on earth to uh, save the world during the famine. famine. Yeah. Uh, and to more or less be the, the more modern father of the Jewish people in, in Egypt hit from his, his family. He moves mm-hmm. them there and they all, you know, um, well, the book of Hebrews ta- tells us that um, all of creation prior to Jesus mm-hmm. um, existed, really the same reason we do, is to tell the God story. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we look back at their lives and we see the gospel story played out. Joseph, for example, is a type of Jesus because he is he is a youngest of his family, mm-hmm. uh non-impressive birth rank, whatever. And he becomes the savior of the then known world. I mean, Joseph saves the entire world from this famine. And so, uh, and he goes through great suffering in order to accomplish that. So you have these types and stories and God is constantly telling his story. And part of your purpose in life, John is for God to tell the God story through your life. So, and this becomes really cool as you navigate even specific moments in your life. Mm-hmm. Someone betrays you. Someone uh, deeply offends you. Do you seek revenge or do you seek to forgive? Sure. You have a moment right there where you can reveal the God story through the through your next decision. And so when I think about what is my purpose in life, this is what I more gravitate to than to make sure as many people as possible find their way to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is clearly the mission of Jesus. The short answer for me is I exist to glorify God. Well, how do I glorify? By joining him in his mission. Sure. So we get to the same thing. Sure. But meanwhile, I do that in such a way that my life has purpose in the way I parent or in the way I you know, talk to my neighbors. I live in a really neighborhood I love, and um, I have a purpose in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's not just to help those who don't know Christ to find their way to him. It's also to reflect, to bear the image of Jesus in front of them. And when they watch me, for example, if I get 
a terminal illness, if there's a death in my family, mm-hmm. as they watch me grieve, not as people who don't know God grieve, but to to grieve as a person who knows about the resurrection, mm-hmm. they see something about God. Sure. So this all is where I find extreme value, even in the painful part of life. So then, um, so I get like, like the Joseph thing, mm-hmm. uh, show people through him, the glory, glorify God through his yeah. life. Yeah. Um, what about the people? Cause he's like a, he's a big name. He's an A-lister in the Bible. You right. Know? Right. What about the guy who's never, his name was probably never written down cause no one he ever met well, could read or write who lived in Joseph's time and, mm-hmm. and was a, you know, a farmer and lived and died. Mm-hmm. Um, what his, his purpose is the exact same. It is because he is known by God and no one is without influence. You know, nobody is without a witness. Somebody's witnessing your life. And so the way you, the way you live your life is important. This is why, you know, if you, if you're a developmentally disabled adult and you're capped at say a third grade understanding, sure. Um, your life has purpose and it, and uh, it has purpose because God is in the middle of your story and that brings beauty and redemptive glory uh, to every scenario. So uh, I think this is one of the answers to our anxiety and to our despair mm-hmm. is, Hey, this matters. Right now, what I'm going through, man, it hurts like hell, but God is in the middle of it and he has an ultimate purpose for it and he's, he's in it with me Mm -hmm. and the way I navigate, the way I make my next few decisions, the next few steps I take have enormous power to reveal the goodness of our God and to partner with him in his beauty. To me, that makes every moment, it has dignity and and uh, meaning to it. For me, when I get in those, uh, you said despair. It's probably I could call it despair. That to me seems a little dramatic. Is I'm never like uh, mm. you know in a state of crisis or or, or rarely. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's when uh, I'm too far zoomed out. It's all, almost actually it's an in between. So mm. if I'm really if I'm really zoomed in in my life, right? All I'm thinking about is um, what I'm doing that day what I'm eating that day mm-hmm. and going to sleep, you know, mm-hmm. then it's, there's no complications. That might be like your, your friend. That's my friend. Yeah. yeah. Life's and, just pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I zoom out to the world and I think of, um, you know, uh, small victories that amount to nothing. And it's like, well, that was meaningless. Uh, and, and th- things like that, you know, just yeah. how big the world is. Yeah. Then I, then I despair of things, you know, what, how do things mean anything? Um, and then actually, cause I was going to say when I zoomed too far out, if you continue to zoom out and you see the big God story, then I get at peace again. It kind of snaps back in again. Right, right. Yeah. But that middle zone right there where I think about, you know, the hurt in the world and things that just don't make a lick of sense. Yeah. Uh, it gets kind of tough. Yeah. You know, Deion Sanders was a Hall of Fame football player and one of the first NFL players to play both ways, offense and defense. Oh, wow. He, he was amazing. And uh, it was pretty late in his career when he won, finally won a Super Bowl. And um, he's now a very strong follower of Jesus. At the Hmm. time, he was not. 
And he said that when he, you know, the, the final buzzer ended, the game was over, we just won the Super Bowl. Like he has been dreaming of this moment his entire childhood. I can't, you know, I want to play in the NFL. Yeah, no kidding. And he's working his butt off to be the best in the NFL. I don't want to just play in the NFL. I want to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just be in the Hall of Fame. I want to have Super Bowl rings. Like, this is what I've been giving my whole life to. And then in one moment, he's there. In one moment, he's there. And he said the first thing that crossed his mind is, wow, I've given my whole life for this. And it really is underwhelming. Hmm. It, it was a sense of profound disappointment. That's crazy. Like, is this as good, is this as good as it's going to get? Is it, you know, and it was a, it was a, it was an existential moment for him. Tom Brady sure doesn't seem to get tired. (laughs) (laughs) He just gets tired carrying all those rings around. I know, his wrist gets so so sore. (laughs) I don't like that guy. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you know, so, so that middle zone, like you're talking about, yeah. You can feel like if you're suffering in that middle zone, this is meaningless. But even if you're succeeding there, you put that ladder against the wall and you climb and you climb and you climb and then you finally get to the top rung and you've made it and you go, wow, is this really what I was made for? Mm-hmm. Because that comes so far short, even as awesome as it is. You think of being, you know, I'm a golf fan. Think of Tiger hitting that number one golfer in the world for a sustained period of time. Where if Tiger was in the tournament, the only question was who's playing, who's going to come in second. Right. That, that's an amazing thing. And different age. Yeah. And is that fulfilling enough? Is that enough? And the answer is no, there's something greater than that. Hmm. And when you get, when you get tunnel vision on something, even in that middle zone that you really want, that you're living for, uh, it, it can lead to pretty profound disappointment. Sure. So I want to ask the same question. Um, I asked it in the vocation one, because I think there's actually a lot of ties between this and that. Um, so just to the the guy or gal who um, really, really feels kind of like, like their their work specifically is meaningless. Um, and I just think that we we probably can't go over this enough. I think it's it's good to yeah, yeah. to go over it again. So how what would, what advice would you say to them to keep your eye on the prize that this is really what it's about? And though this work, the, the the work work of it, the details of it may be kind of, you know, uh, there may be a lot of minutia or stuff, but but there's real there's real glory to God to be to be had in what you're doing. Uh, what do you, I don't know, I, I'm talking circles. What tips would you say to, to really keep your eye on the prize there? On, on so the if, I'm, if I'm if I'm not fulfilled in my work. Yeah. And I'm, if it feels pointless, it feels pointless and my life's kind of stuck in a stall mm-hmm. maybe right yeah that's because i i think i don't know at least i get there sometimes yeah i do too so uh i'll answer that question after right this commercial break <laughs> sure. so john give us a commercial here and then i'll answer your question okay so uh upstream with jim and john is one is the main part of the platform the jim and john platform uh we wrote a, a book this last january and uh, we have plans to Write more, and if you want to learn more about us and and this whole sort of gig we're trying to get up yeah. and going, yeah, uh, you can go to jimandjohn.com. No H and John, just J O N. Yep, and it's not an ampersand; it's A N D, so J I M A N D dot C O M. Uh, and there you'll find a little bit more about us. You'll be able to see the the book we wrote, The Pursuit. Um, uh, you'll be able to see episodes of this podcast, and uh, and you'll have links to our Patreon, which is a a platform that 
uh, we would love you to take a look at if you're uh, if you're being edified by uh, yeah. by by what we're doing here. Uh, it just supports us. It's a uh, um, I wouldn't call it charitable, but it is support. It is uh, it's a pledge, a monthly pledge of money, starting as low as one dollar. Yeah, and there are benefits to that, but really, it's just uh, not being partners with us and yeah. saying, hey, we we want to help this go further faster and and uh, build the audience and yeah. Yeah, and supporting us being able to uh, um, truly make this what we dreamed that it, it could be one day. So uh, if you're if you're looking to help us out, you can go there. But also check it out. Check us out on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and uh, tell a friend. That's great. Yeah. So um, so you know our dream in this, John, is not to get famous. No. Our dream in this is to help people uh, find more meaning in their life. So it kind of goes back to this whole conversation we're in mm-hmm. right now. We want to contribute. We want to help somebody in life. We want we want what we do to matter, and we want to we want to help other people. Yeah. So when I think about the guy who's stuck, you know, when the guy's thinking, "Man, I'm just punching this clock. I hate my job. Yeah. Um, I'm bored. Wish I could be home more. Yeah. yeah. I wish I could, yeah. I wish I had something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I go every day, do this same job." And it doesn't make a single difference in the world. Here's what the scriptures would say to you about that. God would say, do your work as unto God, not unto men, for it is the Lord you are serving. Um, Do everything with everything you got so as to glorify God. So if you are on an assembly line making widgets, be the (laughs) most amazing widget maker in that factory. Yeah. Because you're doing it for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. And the thing about this is it's a stewardship question as well, because the Bible says whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And sometimes we get in a place where we're stuck in our life and I go, I should have more. I want more. And what God will say is you be faithful with what I've given you right now, and I will give you more. But if you won't be faithful with the little thing I've given you, how can I give you more? Right. Because you're not practicing faithfulness in the little thing. Scripture also says, do not despise the place of small beginnings. And so uh, part of what you, what God would want you to know to encourage you is that everything matters. Showing up on time matters. Uh, doing your best work matters. Having a positive attitude matters. Forgiving the people who offend you matters. Like you rub shoulders, just thinking about this, you rub shoulders every day with human beings whose eternal destiny is staggering, hmm. either for glory to enter into this incredible glory eternity with God, yeah. or staggering in the sense of entering into an eternity without God. Uh, human beings are, are, are amazingly valuable, and God is in the middle of this journey with you, so uh, if you can, if you can, my encouragement is to, is to stare at the goodness of our God and find your value in his estimation of you work for him, connect to him. To me, my, my personal experience has been if things are cooking with me and God, mm-hmm. I'm doing great in the rest of the world. But if that's broke, if I don't sense, um, his, presence in my life, if I don't mm-hmm. sense the, the smile on his face in our relationship, if I don't sure. sense a connection to him, man, I could be winning the Super Bowl and it would not nothing. be doing it for me. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've had conversations like this on this topic, obviously, because we've, we've been doing this forever, but, yeah. um, and you've said before, cause 
my my previous kind of understanding of it was um, that you're right. These things don't matter, but big picture things do matter. Like there's kind of a separation there. Yeah. And you had always said, but if but if nothing matters, everything matters, or right. or or something thereabouts. Really, to the effect of the small things, the little things really, really do matter, and that finally actually just just clicked for me for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> that never really. Uh, yeah, I was always kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If everything matters, then everything matters. Like, if, right? If, if the getting, big stuff matters, then the little stuff. Then matters everything too. matters. Yeah, yeah. And if and it and and if and if the little thing doesn't matter, then nothing matters. Right. Yeah, and uh, it's hard. I know it's hard. In America, we say these stupid things that part of the world could never even imagine. Like, it's a it, uh, what a waste of a life to go every day to a job you hate. Sure. And in this country, we happen to have uh, opportunities where many of us don't have to go every day to a job we hate. Yeah. But man, somebody's got to do the plumbing and somebody's got to build the streets and somebody's got to roof the houses, which you the other day said, I, I don't think I might enjoy being a roofer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but somebody, yeah. I, I can't imagine that every job on earth, somebody loves doing. Yeah. But when you recognize that, Hey, I'm not doing this for man. I'm doing this for God. And the way I do this really matters to God. It can add meaning even to the job that you hate. And when you, when you think that God could put his favor on this job I'm doing, because I can't think of a single job mm-hmm. unless you're up in Antarctica measuring snow and you're the only one up there. Like you're there all by yourself. Okay, I was gonna, that didn't sound half bad until you said you're all alone. That, yeah. That sounds like, that sounds like a prison. <laughs> uh, you know, odds are extremely high. Mm-hmm. You're in contact with other human beings and therefore everything you're doing has the potential for greatness and to have an eternal impact. Yeah. Big takeaway for me uh, was what you said uh, probably 30 minutes ago was that the um, that the real directive, the real uh, your real prerogative in life is is bring glory to God. And that because of the era of human existence that we find ourselves in includes making disciples among the nations and and, and trying to and sharing the gospel. Uh, that really is is huge. That kind of you know, shifts the compass a little bit yeah. to where it really is that you, you still are, you know, that still should be one of your top, um, what's the term? Uh, it should be very important to you. Yeah. Ambitions. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, John one, all things were made by him for him and through him mm-hmm. apart from him. Nothing was made that has been made. So it's all about God. Yeah. And that's why you were made for the glory of God. That's, and that's what your, your life's supposed to be about. Uh, what I what I want to try to figure out, I wish there was a way to model this or something, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. to help us. Is it so hard to stop being seduced by the voices of this world that say, hey, you need to make more money. Hey, you should upgrade your house. Sure. Hey, you should go on that vacation. You saw that guy on Facebook go have. Hey, you should, you know, accomplish more. Um, this is really important. Who's one, you know, the Seahawk game Sunday night is going to be so important. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you can get so seduced and distracted by the noise of the, that you, that, that this thing that can add so much value and meaning to your life just gets neglected. Yeah. 
And I wish we could find a way to stay connected to the eternal in a more conscious way all the time. I think that, um, I think doing that indefinitely is close to impossible because of just how we find ourselves because of the curse. Yeah. Um, and the, um, it, maybe it's a matter of the Holy Spirit or that we talked about last week, but the New Testament authors don't seem to have those dips. It seems like, like Paul, Paul really, you know, kind of rags on himself pretty regularly. Um, but you don't hear about like, uh, like Peter didn't after the resurrection of Christ, he didn't like, you know, walk away for like, you know, a few months and just kind of be like, ah, I don't know what I think. You right, know, like right. that didn't happen. Whereas, Old Testament, a lot of these men, and we and we witness them for much longer periods of time than we sure. do the, Old Te- the New Testament writers. Um, but even they, like David, finishes horribly, and he had a really great life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that might just be humanly implausible. It could be. And you even see Paul say, you know, that he went through so much suffering and so much despair that he despaired even of life itself. Um, and, and yet God pulled him out. You know, mm-hmm. God helped him. Uh, I so want to have the passion of Peter who is, um, who is going to be crucified for his faith. And he says to his executioners, please crucify me upside down for I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. Yeah. I mean, to be in the moment of your martyrdom in a, in the worst way you could possibly think. Oh, agonizing, brutal death. And you're thinking about how can I most still bring glory to God in the middle of my execution that I want to be that guy so bad. Uh, that's my, that's my takeaway. I want, and that inspires me to keep pushing, you know? Yeah. That to me, the guy who has that kind of faith gets puts in those, put in those kinds of situations. So maybe it's better for you not to have that kind of faith. It, depending on how, <laughs> depending on your values in life, you will live longer. Maybe, yeah. If you don't have that kind of faith, yeah. I don't know, but that's will, you know. But will you have really lived? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just a that was another sideways kind of joke. Yeah. Um, well, hey, we hope this has been encouraging to yeah. you, and uh, we would love to hear from you. So, man, uh, hit uh, hit uh, rate this podcast if you haven't done so yet. Hit subscribe on there so that you can get alerted Please. whenever you get notified. No turn on your notifications. Uh, we release a new episode every Monday. And uh, send us a comment. Send us a question. Send us a topic you'd like to see us talk about. You can do that at info at jimandjohn.com. J-I-M-A-N-D-J-O-N.com. Send us an email or uh, communicate with us in some way. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we don't, unfortunately, because of how many different softwares there are, there's not an easy way to comment on it. Um, but if you could, you could even interact with us on Instagram or Twitter, you could reply to the, the yep. posts on there. Yeah. Or again, info at Jim and John um, would be great. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear from you. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Monday.